Thanks, Natalie. Been hearing from a number of you how much you're enjoying this Desperation series. Um, 2020 certainly has made us feel desperate for hope and desperate for peace, desperate for joy. And now this sermon titled Desperate for Love. Isn't that kind of a funny title? Um, it relates in many different ways, especially culturally. We all, when you hear that phrase, desperate for love, we identify with it right away, right? There is a sense of, even above all those other classic joys and pieces, that, that this idea of desperation for love is part of the human condition. Yes? We, it, most of us, the, the vast majority, I dare say 100% of us, at, at one time or another, at some way, shape, or form, there was a desperation for love. We were aware of it. I remember the first time I experienced a sense of desperation for love. It was my first crush. It was my first kind of real girlfriend. It was in eighth grade. Chrissy Baffis was her name. Right? And we were dating, and it was, it was this really wonderful relationship. It was, it was good, and it was innocent, it was fun, and I, and I really had fallen for... Chrissy, and we were uh, enjoying this relationship, and however, we were about to go into high school, right, this significant moment, and she had an older sister that she was really close to, and her older sister, thinking she was wise, she was like, "Um, you don't want to go into high school connected in a relationship. You want to be free and open and enter into this new moment. So you should break up with that Eric Carpenter. And so Chrissy talked to me about that. And she's like, so I want to, you know, I think we should go into high school. And I was like, that is the stupidest idea I've ever heard. No. Like, this is going good. Like, yeah, wouldn't it be awesome to be dating like into high school? But despite my pleadings... She broke up with me. So instead of entering high school in a a fun, good relationship, I entered high school desperate for love, right? I was crushed in that moment. You know, we saw Chrissy Baffis at a high school reunion, and uh, she's like married with four kids, and she admitted that I was her first love. I was like, then what in the world were you doing? No, I didn't say that. That's... (laughs) So desperate for love. I would like to suggest that this idea, this, this hunger, this, this longing, this desperation for love has a root cause, has a, has a core to it that, that many people don't understand and miss that root cause. And at the same time, even more people, they don't understand that root cause, but also they don't live in response to this root cause, this idea. And I'd like us to to think about this root cause by reading a sentence that has many would consider the greatest sentence ever composed outside of Scripture. 
I'd happen to agree with them. Some of you might not agree with them, this greatest sentence ever composed, but some would argue that there's a beauty to the sentence and there's a truth to the sentence. That's amazing that it says so much about who we are and our purpose in this world. This sentence comes from a church father from the fourth century, Augustine. And Augustine wrote this, because you have made us for yourself, our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. Let me read that again. Because you have made us for yourself, our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. Augustine, by his own admission, lived a, a, a pretty sinful, degraded life, especially in terms of sexuality and relationship. He didn't give his life to Christ until age 30, where he had uh, already achieved much debauchery in his life. And yet, when he reflects on his life in confessions, he doesn't just say, yeah, he doesn't paint himself, he's just an out-and-out sinner, he's just evil and wrong. No, he says this about himself. He said, um, he said, the single desire that dominated my search for delight was simply to love and to be loved. In other words, he, he wasn't like setting out to be sinful and wrong and go after. He was driven by this, this longing which we all relate to, to love and to be loved. And it wasn't until his 30s when he came to Christ and he recognized that in fact, the reason we all share in that desperation for love is that's how God knit us together. That's how he put us together. And he invites us and offers through a variety of ways like communion that we would receive his love. And there's this this restlessness, this hunger, this longing that we're going to experience, this desperation until our heart finds the true love of the Father. Now I was thinking about that this Christmas and, and was drawn to a psalm, Psalm 31, which is, known as a psalm that perhaps is the greatest example of the psalmist, David, in this instance, where he is desperate. He, he's living whatever year he wrote and composed the psalm. It must have been for him personally a year like 2020, right? Everything is happening. He's, there, there's so much that's happening around him, even his own friends are abandoning him. And he gives this beautiful example of turning to the Lord in the midst of desperation. So look at uh, Psalm 31 with me. 
together. I'm going to read just the center of it. I encourage you, sometime this Christmas, would you read the whole psalm? It's, it's beautifully constructed. Let me just read the first verse for you. To give you context, he begins, In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. All right, he's, he is experiencing all of this desperation. Excuse me. And he is crying out to God. And we're going to pick it up at verse uh, 7. He says this, talking about his desperation. No, I'm sorry. I like Nine, verse nine. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow Weak Because of all of my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. I thought that was a good visual for if... 2020 is a piece of pottery, it's broken, right? It's broken in this world. And David is saying, I feel like no good. Maybe there was a beauty at one time. Maybe I was living in and crafted and created, and yet I feel very broken in every way. Verse 13, for I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. So everything is falling down around and within David's life. Verse 14, but, but I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Verse 16, let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, Lord, for I have cried out to you. But the le- let the wicked be put to shame and be silent in the realm of the dead. Let their lying lips be silenced. For with pride and contempt, they speak arrogantly against the righteous. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. This beautiful psalm of David crying out, really modeling for us, crying out in love. It was one of this, one of these, one of the statements from this psalm is found on Jesus' lips. 
right? So Jesus identifies some of his, uh, the cross with this psalm. And I want to suggest to you that there's a center in this psalm that's powerful for you and I today. That there's a center, it's verse 16, so find that verse. And, and it's, it's meant, I believe, to share with us this incredible truth and practice that the psalmists have shared, that they understood, that really David is wanting us to understand. Let's read that verse. The center of the psalm, verse 16, says this. By the way, this verse also has two, the, I would say, my favorite two Hebrew words. I would say the third one is shalom, but the, the, the first two, my first two favorite Hebrew words, I like to talk about these words. You might have heard me share about these words before, but two, they're shared in this one verse. Verse 16, let your face shine on your servant. That, that word face, the Hebrew word for face is panim. It means face or countenance or the presence of God. So even though God is omnipresent, David is asking God to turn his countenance on him, that he would manifest his presence in his life, especially in this moment of desperation. And he says, be present with me, turn your face towards me, your countenance with me in, in his distress. And then he goes on in verse 16 to say this, save me in your unfailing love. That second Hebrew word is chesed. Chesed, it means mercy and goodness and grace, and loving kindness. And that word is repeated again and again in Hebrew that talks about the essence of who God is. And so what David is saying, what David is praying, is he's saying in the midst of this distress, would you turn your countenance to me? And David knows if the Lord does that if he looks at him. He will be enveloped in the loving kindness of the presence of God. And I want to suggest that what the psalmist knew is that they would experience that, that they're, let me, let me explain it this way. Have you ever thought about what every relationship that you have has some kind of center, has some kind of connection that you have? So if you serve on a sports team like volleyball or basketball, right, you, you grow in friendships because it's centered around 
uh, um, living and, and trying to win in victory. You've got that shared experience with them of that sport and accomplishment and meaning. Our relationships here in the church have a shared experience of faith and connection, right? That's the, that's the core. That's what the, the relationship, many of us, it's predicated on. A best friend you might have that has particular interests, or, or you guys are connected with a hobby. That's what's predicated on, uh, uh, that relationship is predicated on that hobby. Here's the question I want you to ask. What is your relationship with the Lord predicated upon? What's the center of your relationship with the Lord? I think we can have a number of uh, centers of our relationship with the Lord. One could be guilt, right? That I, we keep turning because of sin and we turn to, to God. One can be fear, not the good fear, right? That could be uh, fear that he's gonna send us to hell, right? Now those can be important things, but it shouldn't be the center. It can be kind of a, a quid pro quo, right? That, well, I do this for you, Lord, because I, you need to have my back because I'm serving you well, right? I want to suggest that David in particular and the psalmist understood that God's heart and desire and offering was to make his loving kindness the center of our relationship and everything we do. Look at, look at some of the Psalms that record this, right? He says, our prayers, when, when a Psalm is prayed, I put New King James Version because they oftentimes translate chesed with loving kindness. I love that. I, sometimes great love Sometimes unfailing love, all of that is the, the depth of that word. But loving kindness, there's this beauty to it. And listen to the psalmist when he talks about his prayer life. He says, hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to the multitude of your tender mercies. He's saying he understands that his prayer life, the interaction with God is rooted in the loving kindness of God. Nothing of his own. Our forgiveness. When David was praying after Bathsheba, he said this, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tenderness, Blot out my transgressions. He's saying, please don't treat me as I deserve. He doesn't want a quid pro quo, does he? He doesn't want a relationship based on justice and rightness because if any of us has that relationship based on that, we're in trouble. He's saying, according not to my sin, not to what I've done for you, but according to your loving kindness, would you forgive me? Our renewal and revival that we've talked about. Psalm 19 repeats this. Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. 
he's saying, he, he understands there's this, this idea that God is offering the center of our relationship, not what we do for him, not for what we can accomplish for the kingdom. That may be important, that's a part of it, but he's saying at the center of our relationship, God is inviting us to that loving kindness. Apply it to Christmas. Why did Jesus send his son? We're told, have you ever thought about John 3.16 in the context of Christmas? How does it start? For God so, so loved the world. He didn't say, man, these guys are dark. Man, whore, all right, I'm gonna, okay, for crying out loud, I'll send my son. No, he wasn't any of that. He wasn't, I am going to bring it to them. They don't know. It says it's because of love. This loving kindness. Think about the Titus passage we shared for communion. He was saying, yes, we were, we were broken and in pain, and yet the kindness and God, our Savior, appeared. He wanted to change the entire world, he wanted to change our relationship with him and predicate it and center it on the loving, loving kindness of God. So again, friends, I ask you this important question. What is your relationship with God predicated on obligation? Whatever it would be, if it's not the loving kindness of God, you're missing it. I also think of uh, Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, Revelation 2, when God is speaking to the church and he's saying, he blesses them with good things that they've done. He said, but I've got this against you. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Boy, you started well. You, you, you had the, this love that you knew me and you experienced me, but you've floated away. Some of you, you've had and known the Lord, that the, his loving kindness was the center of your relationship, but you've floated away. I think of the whole book of Galatians. Paul is saying to the Christians there, he's confronting them. He's saying, you started so well. You started with the spirit, which is freedom and love and kindness. You were there and yet now you're living your life based on the law and trying to accomplish the law. He says, what happened? Who has bewitched you? He says, don't you know the law is is put together with the simple command of love the Lord your God. He's inviting the Galatians back to the center of being a spirit-led Christian with the love of God at the center of their relationship. Amen? I apologize if I shared this story before, but it's worth sharing again. It's about my mom, and I might have shared it in the Gifted series, and when she was given the gift of tongues, and she had been pursuing 
this gift actually for a number of years. She'd been pressing in. She'd been praying. Old school church says tarrying. She had been waiting on the Lord a long time. And she'd, and again, you know, for those of you who've heard the series, we disagreed a little bit theologically, uh, my mother and I, but, she, but uh, still she was pursuing the gift of tongues. And right in the midst of her pursuit of tongues, my sister, who is probably watching this morning, she was in middle school and she goes off to a camp with another church and she started uh, uh, praying in tongues. And she calls my mom from camp and she says, Mom, is that okay? And my mom is like, yes, sweetie, it's a, it's a gift of God. The Lord blessed you with that. Yes, and she hung up and then she said, Lord, she didn't even know there was that gift. I've been asking and you haven't given it to me yet, right? So she's, she's pleading and she's crying and she's longing for the Lord. She said she was in her bed one night in the middle of the night. She's crying out for more of the Lord. And she said it just came in a whoosh. And she started praying real loud in a tongue. My dad must have remained sleeping. But she's, she's like... Praying in tongues. And you know what I remember most about my, my mom telling this story? Oh, I get choked up when I hear Romero's prayer. She said, it was that moment that I knew he really loved me. There was this longing, all that desire and hunger for the Lord was rooted in this sense, this desperation to love and be loved. And it was that moment that, that she recognized the love of the Father for her personally. That moment, it went from his love from the wor- for the world, his love for the congregations, his love for all the people that he is saying, personally, I love you. My love is for you. I want a relationship with you. I want to center this relationship with you. And friends, I'd say he's communicating that in a variety of ways. It could be the gift of tongues. It could be another spiritual gift. It could be communion. It could be during a sermon. It could be looking at Pike's Peak and being overwhelmed with the goodness of God, he is communicating daily, moment by moment, I love you, I'm after you, I'm pursuing, you don't have to romance me. I want you and this relationship with you. Friends, if we would get that, if we would understand that, if we would respond to that, how your world would dramatically be different. Let's just talk real briefly about how one responds. I I think that David also models that. Look at verse 14 again. He says, remember we just read all of the the struggle, the the broken pottery of a life that he's been all there. And then in verse 14, 
it turns. He says, in the midst of all this desperation, but, but I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. What David is modeling, again, in this moment he says, I trust you. In this moment, you are my God. In this moment, I receive your love. Now there's this powerful image tucked away in the Old Testament that speaks of his love. And I love this image, and I asked for a little help from Sarah Davis and her little baby, Cora. And I want to, yeah, if you could come forward, and I'm going to put my mask on just to keep little Cora safe. You guys have met Sarah and Cora. Ooh, that makes that effect. Sorry about that, Ryan. Do I need to keep my mask off? Okay, we'll be distant. We'll, we'll keep our distance, even though she's so cute. All right. So in the Old Testament, there's this moment in the prophet Hosea, and he is taught, judgment is about to come to the people of Israel. The Syrians are about to wreck the northern nation and he's pleading, and God is pleading with the people. And he's saying, ah, come on, you've missed my love. And so let me read Hosea to you, and then we'll ask Sarah and Korah to demonstrate this. It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt, I called, my, I called my son. He's talking about the people of God. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to Baals and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. He said, you're missing my love for you. You're missing this. And then he says, I led them with cords of human kindness. What a phrase. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a child to the cheek. All right, you wanna, now hold her out in front of you, Sarah. And this is a picture of God's love for you. And that's what we do. All right, one more time, Sarah. Hold, hold her to your cheek. Can we thank Sarah and Cora for that? <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Can you imagine God put this image? Did you get it? Like Sarah was God in the scenario, and you are Korah. 
And God is like, I love you so much. I like that, just that holding the child to the cheek. And we push, we push her away. We push him away, right? And God is saying, how much more? It was like, that was the Old Testament dynamic. And they're pushing away and they're stiff neck. And now he says, all right. They don't get it. They're not understanding the love I have. They're not understanding the source, the, the precedent, the center of my love for them. I'm going to send Jesus who is the manifestation of my love. And through Jesus, I'm going to hold them to my cheek. And I hope that they'll embrace me back not push away. And one other thing I would share about responding to God's love is uh, walking in his loving kindness. That was perfect on cue. Rather than responding to his love, we cry out. All right. Paul says this in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Follow God's example. I love that. Oh, okay, I'll just follow God's example. What's God's example? Tells us. As dearly loved children, recognizing the the love God has for you. As dearly loved children, walk in the way of love. Brings us back to 1 Corinthians 13, right? In our gifted series, right? You, you can do awesome things with God but, and, and for God, but if you're not walking in love, you might as well not do it at all. Walk as dearly loved children. Walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself us uh, up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus did it. Jesus modeled. That's the example of God to follow. He was the manifestation of of the love of God to this broken world. Paul is now saying, do it like that. Receive his love as he holds his cheek to you. Wrap your arms around and then live in response to that embrace. You know, oftentimes when, especially in times of desperation and struggle, especially in times when I have no idea what in the world God is up to, when I'm frustrated because I don't see how a loving God could allow this to happen in my life. It's in those moments that I try my best to pray like David did. I trust you, Father. I trust you. I, I, I don't get it. 
And I'm not gonna live in response in such a way that I don't, what I don't get. I'm not gonna live in, 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 in frustration and confusion and bitterness. No, I'm gonna trust you in this moment. I'm gonna trust in your love. I'm gonna trust in your goodness, even though it's really hard to reconcile your, your goodness, your kindness, and your love with this thing that is happening to me. I'm gonna trust you, and I'm gonna live a life of love. There's a, another famous uh, uh, quote from Augustine that can be very easily misunderstood. And for understandable reasons, he says this, love God and do whatever you please. That sounds, that sounds fun, right? It doesn't sound right, but it sounds fun, yes. But what Augustine is saying, he's not saying, I'm giving you a license to sin. If you read the fuller quote, he says this, love God and do whatever you please for the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. The one who is beloved is God. So let me read that whole quote again. Love God And do whatever you please, for the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. He's saying that love, essentially what he's saying is what Jesus said, all the law is summed up in this one thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If you do that, you will be training your soul to live life as it was meant to be lived. To live life as you were created to live. To live life that Christ died and therefore restored. To live life in loving connection, embraced by the beloved one of God. and then to live a life as beloved. Amen? So let's take a little bit of time to respond. Would you pray with me? Just had the sense that for many of us, Or that idea of our relationship with him being centered on the, his love. We've known that before. We've understood that before. And yet we've wandered from that. And our relationship with him is predicated on something else. I believe this morning he's inviting you 
to receive his love afresh and anew today. Just between you and the Lord, if there's anything, if there's any way that you feel that your relationship with him has shifted in some way, you've, you've lost that first love, would you just take a moment to confess it? And then we'll receive his love in just a moment. And I also want to speak to those some of you, whether in the sanctuary or at home, you've never understood your longing and desperation for love as a root cause, and that is the love of God for you. That you've never received God's loving kindness in Christ, manifested in Christ. If you've never done that, I also want to invite and give you a moment just between you and the Lord to receive Christ Jesus, to receive the love of God. Just take a moment to be in the panim of God, the manifest presence of God. If you feel so led to repeat this prayer with me at home, just in your heart, or here in the sanctuary. Lord, I confess I've lived it wrong. Lord, I confess I've missed your love. Forgive me, Lord. Lord, I receive your love today. I receive you, Jesus. Lord, forgive me if my first love has grown cold. Forgive me if I've forgotten your precious love for me. I receive it today. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill me with the love of Jesus Christ, love of the Father. Lord, would you train our soul in your love? Would you help us to live a life of love, the way of love. This is from number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his panim 
shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his panim, his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. We'll see you for Christmas Eve.